Hello, and welcome to the Two Gals in a Mic podcast. I'm your host, Sue Curver, and today I'm chatting with a gal who may have one of the coolest jobs on the planet. Steph Albano is the founder and the owner of Fanatical Fly Fishing, which is a company that runs fly fishing travel and trips, focusing on bringing more women into the outdoors. Steph, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. I'm sure honored to be here. You've had some great ladies on your podcast, and I'm honored to have you ask me to join you and talk about fanatical fly fishing. Yeah, I am so excited that you're here, and I'm really excited about the passion that you have to share fly fishing and some of your favorite destinations with other ladies. So let's kind of start with that. Why travel? You know, I've been very blessed in my life. I'm kind of a career-focused person, and I worked a lot to get my career to where it is. And through that, fly fishing was always my release. Through those experiences, I always loved traveling with friends and family, but there were occasions that, you know, I wanted to go to a different international destination that they did, or our schedules just didn't line up because everybody had such tight schedules. And I would find myself looking at trips going, okay, I can pay double for my own room. I can go with 11 guys I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can not go on this trip. I mean, I wanted there to be more options for women to explore fly fishing. And so at one point I just said, this is crazy. I'm going to try this and see if I can make this happen for all of us. And I did, like you said earlier, I picked some of the locations that were my favorites and I knew the guides were good. I knew the lodges were good and rolled it out and it's been well received. So you actually have not been doing this for your entire career. You were in finance before, right? Yeah, I was. I've always had a business career. I've been very blessed to have some great mentors and they believe that you earned one opportunity after another and they wanted you to grow. And so, um, yeah, I had a business background and a fly fishing passion. I'm certainly not a guide and uh-huh. definitely a passionate angler, but I've had a lot of great mentors along the way. I did. I did some solo hosted travel and that was a lot of fun. I think for all of us, it's always a little nerve wracking in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, from my experience as a traveler and then from what I'm doing now, I think, I think you always meet great people in the world of fly fishing. Did you ever go on any of them solo? I did. I did some solo hosted travel and that was a lot of fun. I think for all of us, it's always a little nerve wracking in the beginning. Mm-hmm. From my experience as a traveler and then from what I'm doing now, I think you always meet great people in the world of fly fishing and you always learn something when you travel, especially internationally, but but even to just new locations within the US, you always learn something new. You always come home with a slightly different mindset, which is a great thing. So what advice would you have for a lady who's going solo on maybe her first fly? fishing trip? It's a hard thing to do. I'll be the first to admit it. it was hard for me to do that on some of the trips that I did years ago, but I've met some of the best people in my life. I have met some amazing people in the world that I never would have met if I would not have had that fly fishing experience. It's a huge leap of faith. From the perspective of fanatical fly fishing, 90% of the people that come out are solo the first time. They don't know anybody else on another trip. And many of them are now repeat clients and they've met others on the trips. And now there's this whole fanatical fly fishing family. I think you should absolutely just do it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. I mean, we have done some fly fishing trips and I've done some solo where I showed up and I didn't know any of the other ladies who were going to be on the trip. And, you know, by the end of a five to seven day experience, all of a sudden you have a whole new group of girlfriends that you continue to stay in touch with and all sorts of experiences. But I'll be honest with you, Steph, there was some fear with taking that leap and going as 
a solo angler without knowing anybody. And then I would imagine that there'd probably be some more concern if you're maybe not well-established as an angler, um, maybe if you haven't been doing it for a long time. So do you see these as really big barriers of entry? And if you do, what suggestions do you have for getting past those things? I don't think they're barriers to entry. I think there are definitely things that go through everyone's head, right? We all have those fears or things that have happened in the past. I hear a lot of questions from ladies like, oh, I've always been a tomboy. How's this women's thing really going to work? I think those concerns tend to simmer down after you get there because you get to know the people and you see that the environment is set up to where it's very welcoming. It's very, very much about the fishing and the people that are there. And so we're paired to go fish together. And then, you know, you come back from a day on the water and swap stories. You shared tips with each other. It's that environment that creates the comfort level. And now that 65% at least are coming back for their second, third, fourth trip, and they're helping to foster that environment. It gets easier and easier every time to have people that are matched up well together for their own goals. You know, whether it's the gal who wants to go hunt permit on a saltwater trip, and that's all she wants to fish for, will match her with somebody that wants to go hunt permit. I had two beginners on trips last year. I mean, literally like had never held a rod before. We put them in some casting lessons. They learned, they fished, they both netted a bunch of fish. They both signed up for more trips and, and they saw what the sport brings to other ladies who've been involved with it. I'm glad that you brought that up because I was going to ask you what your typical client looks like. Most of your clients are seasoned anglers, but it sounds like some of them are absolute beginners and that you have concessions for those folks, right? Absolutely. It's been very interesting. I mean, it ranges from age 20 to literally 80. It ranges from, you know, all walks of life, from stay-at-home moms to school teachers to stockbrokers to attorneys to retired physicians. We've run the gamut. And yes, we do make concessions for beginners to have a little help in the beginning and get out there and do it. And, and to put the more advanced anglers with someone who's their equal for the day. So you've mentioned a lot of saltwater species and you've mentioned saltwater flats, but you have other destinations too, right? We've got uh, the Henry's Fork up in Sun Valley, Idaho, Silver Creek, which is technical. And then that trip also includes the Big Wood, the Big Lost. We go over into Stanley and, and fish the salmon. We've also got trips in Wyoming on the Green River and the Bighorn. Looking forward to peacock bass in Brazil, and then Cuba, which is a new one. We've been to Mexico a couple of times and the Bahamas, but Cuba will also be saltwater, but a wide variety. So there's something for everyone, whether it's the trout trip that you want to try, or you want to get into salt, or you're a, you know, an avid angler who wants a new experience. Maybe peacock bass hasn't crossed your list of experiences yet. What drives your choices? Is it the species that are available? Is it places that you've been? Is it from feedback? that clients have given you. I mean, I know we went to Cuba last year and uh, by the way, listeners, if you have not gone and done saltwater fishing in Cuba, you definitely need to add that to your bucket list because it was amazing, but I digress. The question is how, <laughs> how do you choose your destinations? I mean, there's just so many to choose from. You're absolutely right, Sue. Customer input is definitely very important to me. And so when I know that someone wants to fish somewhere, I'll do my best to make that happen. It's also comes down to places that I have fished or that I have personal experiences with the guides because that can make or break a trip. If you go out and you have a bad guide or you have a bad experience at a lodge, I think you're, you go home very frustrated that you just spent all that time and money and you want it to be quality. And so I'm very honored to work with the 
lodges and guides that I do work with. And I really like to have that experience so that I can look you in the eye and say, hey, this is a great guy. He's a great guide. He'll take care of us. She's a great guide. She runs a great lodge. Whatever it is, it's going to be a quality trip. Do you personally have a favorite destination or a favorite species that you like to target? Oh, that's hard. The Henry's Fork has always been kind of my home waters. I love the challenge that that brings up. I know a lot of very good anglers up there and they, they'll come off the water someday shaking their head. So that makes you feel a little better. I'm not the only one that gets schooled. Um, I love that challenge, but I also love saltwater. I love to travel internationally. That's really hard to pick a favorite spot. It's never a bad day on the water. Is there, Sue? I've yet to find one. No, I've, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Even if you're not catching anything, or even if your casting is not quite what you want it to be for that day, there is no other feeling in the world than just being out there in the water and in nature. If you're thinking about doing this and you want to do it, I would tell you it's it's the best feeling in the world, even if you don't catch anything, right? I think you're right for sure. There were a lot of trips that I hemmed and hawed about taking and, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't cast well enough or all the things that would go through my head. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm a better person and a better angler for going out there and trying it and making some things happen on the water. I think if you wait until you're perfect, if you're me, you're never going to go. Is there even a perfect, right? But I'm glad that you brought that up because I was much like you, especially when I did that first solo trip and it was actually to Alaska. It was one of those bucket list trips where you want to make sure that you know how to cast and you know what you're doing. But I went and met a group of women up there and we spent the week together and we took float planes to all sorts of remote destinations and targeted salmon. And it was probably one of the most empowering things that I have ever done because I knew that from the moment I got there, I would be taken care of. The guides definitely had our best interests at heart. They weren't going to put us in a situation that we couldn't handle. We caught an awful lot of fish. We saw an awful lot of wildlife and it just really energized my appreciation, not only for fly fishing, but for wildlife conservation and for fisheries conservation, just, you know, really seeing these pristine environments. So it's exactly what you just said, Steph, even if you're not sure, I would advocate any listener who's even thinking about it, maybe even a little bit, just do it because you're going to find, you're going to find a part of yourself that you didn't even know was there. You know, it's funny that you bring up Alaska in that light because I was lucky enough to go there many years ago and it was exactly the same thing. It, it, that trip changed my life because it really made me boil everything down as to, you know, where are you going? What do you want to do with your life? And just have those conversations in your head. Yeah. And <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, I didn't show up with the best equipment in the world and I didn't show up with the same amount of knowledge that my roommate had or some of the other women that were on the trip, but every single person, the other ladies who had more experience were very gracious to share that experience and their knowledge with me. No one ever made me feel less than or that I wasn't good enough, or that I shouldn't be there. I never felt that. Like you just said, I mean, it really changed my perspective on everything. And it gave me that passion to get more women into fly fishing and into the outdoors because it had such a positive impact on my own journey and my own life. I agree with exactly what you're saying. And it's it's very, very true. And it's it's very fun to watch that happen for other women. I want to go back to your journey of entrepreneurship because something like this, does not just happen. And you were also, as we said before, earlier in the podcast, you were working in finance. So you had this other foundation and this other grounding. Walk us through kind of that transition from what you were doing 
to where you are now, how that happened. And also when you knew it was time to make this your full-time occupation? Well, it isn't a full-time occupation. I still have a day job. And so I'm very blessed to have this opportunity and still do some small business work as well. Putting myself out there, I think was the hardest part. And I was lucky to have some great mentors. My dad was in business and I bounce ideas off of him and he was like, Steph, just do it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know exactly how I found the courage to leap. I think I just did it at one point. I saw a need because of my own experience and, and other women. And, and I thought, well, you know, as a business person, I think there's a need and I think I can help fill it. I would definitely give the same advice to someone else. Follow your passion and follow your your dreams and, and just try it. And I've been very blessed to have the reception that I have to fanatical fly fishing and to have it take off. We've, we've done over 600 days of women on the water in the last couple of years. It's been fun to see all the positive stories, women who had recently lost their husbands and were struggling and came out and now have these friendships and these adventures that are filling some of the voids in their lives. I get so much out of watching other people be successful through this venture and find friends and find adventure that they may not have otherwise. That's hugely rewarding. Man, that resonates very, very much with me because like you, I mean, I have the fly fishing education business, but I also have a full-time position. So really juggling and balancing the two of those things, when you've got a passion for something and you really want to see, like we're saying, women succeed and women get espoused in the out outdoors, that's what drives me. It sounds like you're very similar, right? Absolutely. And I guess I would turn the tables on you, Sue. Like, how do you balance it all? And how do you make it all work when you're trying to bring more people in to the outdoors and bring more ladies out to take that solo trip or take that solo class and, and get to learn a new sport from you? Yeah, that's a great question. Quite honestly, it's all about balance. And so for me, one of the things that I found is that self-care is at the top of my list. And as silly as that sounds, I have to have a routine. So my routine includes an entire morning where, you know, I get up, I go to the gym, I do a healthy breakfast, I do meditation, I do gratitude and journaling, and that sets the foundation for the rest of my day. So it allows me to be as productive as I need to be at my full-time job, but still have the energy and capacity to do these other things. I really lean into that self-care and finding that balance. And then also understanding that we'd like to think that we can do it all, but the reality is we can't. There is this wonderful word called no, and I've had to, to learn to say say that and to really lean into the things that I know are going to fill my cup and then say no to those things, which I think are not going to be as value added. Let me ask you, what are your daily habits? What are the things that bring you success? You spelled it out very well. And for me, it's, I need that daily workout to just put my head in the right place. You know, that's how I think through things and strive for balance. I'm not always good at balance, but as I've gotten older, I've been much better about making concessions. So, you know, as you said, we can't do everything, even though we sometimes think we can, we can't do everything. And so you, you learn to prioritize, you learn to kind of put some things out on the table in front of you and say, okay, You've got 24 hours in a day. These are all the things that you have set up for yourself. So how are you going to 
make this all work and and make those decisions and juggle it all and and enjoy it all. You know, that's important because if you don't enjoy your job or you don't enjoy the time that you give yourself, it's not worth doing anymore. And I would say one other thing as I've been uh, entering this world of entrepreneurship, I've really had to allow myself some grace. When things don't work out as I expect them to work out or as quickly as I would like to see them work out, just to allow myself that grace to know that it's okay and I'm still forging forward. So I think sometimes we can get stuck in fear and not even take the leap of faith that you mentioned earlier in the podcast because we're just too afraid that things might not work out. I think that's a very good point and one that I have learned as well. The other thing that I think this journey with Fanatical has taught me is that when people know that you're doing your best and you're trying to give them everything that you can, when those moments come up, those uncontrollable things, unforeseen things come up, you're going to have the support around you from those people that you're working with or serving or friends with to say, hey, you know, find that grace stuff. That's just part of it. And and so you you look inward to find the grace. And I think you you build the network around you and the support system around you to remind you that it's okay. It's okay that everything isn't always perfect. It's okay that it doesn't always work out, but it will. It circles back. And the same with fly fishing. It's okay <laughs> that you messed up that cast or that you didn't catch anything or whatever the case might be, because you're going to have some up days and some down days. It's just life, right? It ebbs and flows. So it's funny because, I mean, we're sitting here talking about lessons learned and things like that. Any significant failures? that you've had that you would want to share as a lesson learned? There's always the fishing that you blow the shot or you you want that fish so badly that you can't even tie your shoes. You can't make a cast. You can't hold on to the whatever. I mean, sure, I got plenty of those stories. You also have to decide how you're going to define failure. Failure because your trip had bad weather. Is that your failure? Yes, in one sense it is because it wasn't the trip you wanted it to be, but you can't control everything either. Did everyone still have a good time? Did everyone still get to fish? Did everyone have some positive things that happened? Happened, well, then it wasn't a total failure. If you blow the things you can control in life, that's a bigger failure in my mind. I think I've gotten better at recognizing that, okay, maybe that wasn't perfect and that wasn't everything I want it to be. And next time I'll do it differently, but it, it's not an epic failure. You give it your best and all these things went right. And so let's think about how we're defining things and reacting to things too. No, that's a great point. I mean, as you were talking about that, of course, fishing is going through my mind and I'm thinking about when we were in Cuba and it was, I'm not even kidding. You cannot make this kind of story up, right? <laughs> it was the last day of our trip and all week long, my partner, Josh had caught tarpon and he had just been on fire with it. And I had gotten tarpon, but they kept flying off. And so it kind of became a thing that we were going for tarpon. Sue gets her tarpon. We'll get Sue her tarpon. The last day of the trip, the last cast of the trip. I got on a tarpon and I was not letting that tarpon go. I'm playing the tarpon and it's doing its acrobatic thing and all of this. And if my rod did not come apart, I'm not kidding. I kept tension on that line. I would not let him go. My guy jumps up there. He throws my rod back together, but now the guides are facing up towards the sky <laughs> instead of down towards the deck. And I'm playing this tarpon. I get him up to the boat and, you know, the guide puts his hand on the leader and he looks at the tarpon and he says, no, no, he's not ready to come in yet. So he lets the leader go and, and I play the tarpon a little bit more. And my, uh, my rod came apart for the second time. And, uh, that second time that tarpon got off and off he went. Oh, and then the best part of that story, you know, I, I look back at Josh and I'm like, get the picture, get the video. And he's like, 
Sue, you have no more memory on your phone. There's no way that I can take this photo. And uh, we could look at that as a, a potential failure. But, you know, in my mind, it just was the absolute best way to end an absolutely epic trip. So yeah, it's, it's all about redefining failure. And you now have that great story, which if you would have had, you know, the fish picture, you would not show that picture. I'll bet you as many times as you've told that story and it's something we can all share in and, and relate to. So I think it's awesome. So what's next for you? What's on your bucket list or any big trips that you'd like to plan or ways to expand um, your business? The expansion has kind of morphed in itself a little bit. I was asked to put the first couples trip together last year, which we did on the Henry's Fork. Um, I've got one in uh, 24 up in Sun Valley on Silver Creek and those waters. I've had a lot of people ask me to help them book private trips or group trips or corporate trips. And those things have been fun. And I'd really like to expand that portion. It's so much fun to get to talk to people and say, well, where do you want to go? And what do you like? Then they come home and they're like, that was the most epic, amazing trip. I just really enjoy the experience and really enjoy helping people. And you have such a great way of doing that stuff. Josh and I got in touch and we actually asked to put together a pretty big trip for us. December, I will be making my 50th time around the sun and we wanted to commemorate my 50th birthday. So we gave her a call and we said, hey, can you help us? And you said, well, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And Next thing I know, you're booking us what I hope to be the most amazing trip to Christmas Island. You've been to Christmas Island. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Sue, I've actually been there twice. You are going to have the trip of your lifetime. You guys are going to have such a good time. You know, it's an amazing experience because giant trevallies are a fish like no other. I mean, so aggressive. There are all of those species that are over there that you can chase. And I think my favorite on Christmas Island are the the GTs and the triggers. Those trigger fish are like another version of permit. I mean, they're just super challenging and they'll be just bobbing along, doing their thing and eating what they're eating. And you can either get them to eat or you can. And they're just so cool looking. I used to think that Christmas Island was only about bonefish because that's all I ever heard about years ago. And the bonefish are fun, but there are just, you know, so many species, so many cool places to be. You're out waiting all the time, which you don't always get in other saltwater destinations, but you're out of the boat with your guide walking along, seeing it all unfold right in front of you. We were on a flat the last time I was there and kind of creeping up because we thought there were some, maybe some giant trevallies out in this big opening in, in front of us. And there was another pancake flat across the way, right? We were just there and the guide's like, hold still. And we get down and we're just like hunkering down and this giant trevally like comes up out of the deep like onto this pancake flat in front of us and I got to cast to oh my gosh that was a that was a failure because I couldn't strip anymore my rod was too long and and the fish was there and so I didn't get that fish but boy that was fun watching that thing come up they're just gangsters of the flats. I mean, that's ex- somebody pinned to that one exactly right. They're just amazing creatures. It's such a cool place. Now, did you go with somebody or did you join a trip that had already been planned? The first time I went with some friends that I met on another fishing trip, another hosted trip, and they said, you got to do this with us. And I was like, I can't do that. And they were like, yeah, come with us. We've got these dates booked. There's room, whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm doing that. On that trip, I had the benefit of not only some great guides, but people that had been there before. And they were amazing anglers. Like you pointed out in one of your experiences, I I was definitely the least knowledgeable on that trip. They had far more gear than I did. And they really helped me stock up, if you will, before I went. Um, The second time I went on a hosted group, I wanted to go back. I just had the time of my life on that first trip. And 
a few years later, I just found a hosted trip and I didn't know anybody on that group, but I was dying to go do it again. And so uh, I went back and it, it's a very special place. You guys all have a wonderful time. I'm wondering what advice you might give to somebody who's wanting to do their first trip. Advice as far as like preparation, how to pack or what to pack. And I know that every destination is going to be a little bit different, but just generally speaking, like how could you best prepare if you're getting ready to do your first trip? One of the things I really tried to do with fanatical trips is to give out a gear list well in advance so that you can say, okay, I need to pack all of these things for this trip. Because as you pointed out, the trip to Christmas Island is going to be very different from the trip to the Henry's Fork. Um, You're looking at all different gear. You're looking at all different flies. You're looking at different, you know, what to wear. You can rely on the person you're booking a trip with to help you get that gear list ahead of time and help you get prepared in that light. I think the other thing, no matter what level you are, Go out and practice your casting. And if you haven't ever fished before, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do the trip, but go take a casting lesson. Spend some time on that cast. I I still go down to the soccer fields, you know, near my home and line up the targets and just practice. Can I go 10 feet further than I did last year? Can I hit the nail on the head when the wind's blowing? Because when the wind's blowing, it's a great time to go practice. I think those are the two biggest things I would say. No matter where you're going, the person you book with should be able to help you with a gear list and spend some time talking to you about, you know, what to wear, what the conditions might be like, what the food might be like, special needs a person might have as far as dietary or others. And then just go practice casting. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner. It doesn't matter if you've been on as many trips as I have. I still need to practice. You still need to go out there and work work on those different skills. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also add for any of you listeners who happen to be on social media, there's a lot of really great forums out there. Look for women angling forums and ask those types of questions. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of lady anglers who want to share their experiences and their knowledge when they're on the trip. They love to share it through social media as well. So that, you know, you really can feel like you're prepared for whatever adventure you're going into. If anybody's looking at any of the trips, I am always happy to jump on a phone call and and answer questions about the trip or you know, abilities or gear or anything else before somebody books and, you know, have a conversation and say, am I expecting the right things here? And is this what this trip will really bring to me? And I can vouch for that because we called you and we talked for no less than an hour and a half. It's a big deal, you know, not only for the amount of uh, the time and travel and all of that, but also because what it represents to me and to us. And so we wanted to make sure that we were choosing correctly and that we had all of that data and information. And Steph, you are wonderful in walking us through the entire process. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a shot. And I think, you know, anytime that any of us book a trip, like you said, it is a big deal and it's a big financial commitment and time commitment. And we should all have those answers before we book. So thank you for that opportunity. Okay. One last question for you. So fanatical fly fishing, how did you come up with the name? Um, I don't really know. I think I wanted it to be something that shared the excitement that I have for the sport. And I think women have for the sport. Somehow I just popped in my head one day and I was writing down a list of ideas and that one stuck. So I worked with a graphic designer for the logo and he was obviously very talented and somehow it just fell into place. Yeah. You know, someone said this past weekend that adventure is something where you just don't know the outcome. You really just don't ever know the outcome, but I can tell you every time that I 
have made that leap of faith and kind of moved into things that I thought would be fun or interesting or challenging, there has always been something foundationally positive that has come out of it, whether it's new gal pals or better skills or an appreciation for things that I can do that I didn't know that I could do. You know, I think sometimes you just have to take that challenge and not let fear stand in your way. Well said. Well said, Sue. I totally agree. Don't don't be afraid to go solo. Every time I ventured out in that regard, it has come back tenfold. You just get so much out of it. Well, Steph, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. Thank you for putting these trips and these opportunities together so that all of our listeners can have these types of adventures that we've been talking about. And listeners, for you, I would really encourage you if you are interested or thinking about it or even have a small inkling that you might want to go on one of these fly fishing trips, Steph's website is in the show notes. So take a look at that. Give her a ring and set up an adventure for yourself. Thanks for tuning in. Catch us again next Friday on Two Gals and a Mic as I speak with another woman who's using her gifts and her superpowers to do extraordinary things. We'll see you next time.